Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. All right, and we move on to my featured guest, where today I had the opportunity to chat with Jennifer McClure. Jennifer is the president of Unbridled Talent, and she is also the host of one of my favorite podcasts, the Impact Makers Podcast. Her background in human resources and recruiting has really made Jennifer an industry leader that I believe in and that I get a lot of my influences from. In this conversation, we talk about how to build a talent strategy that works for your organization, why it's important to produce positive and lasting change, and we also talk about how we can take the work that Jennifer does and incorporate that into an athletic setting. So let's hop right into this conversation and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Jennifer Mickler. Podcast. Today, my guest on the show is Jennifer McClure. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yes, I'm going to try not to gush about this because I've heard you on a number of different podcasts. I've been following you around for a little while, not to sound creepy or anything, but I really enjoy your work and the perspective that you bring to the type of work that you do. So this is a real treat for me. And you are the president of Unbridled Talent. And my first question is a little bit of a lighthearted question, if you will. But that word talent is something that really stands out to me. My business name is Talent 409. And I'm just curious, does that word have something that like has a deeper meaning to you, that, that word talent? It's a good question. I think, um, you know, for me, when I started my business in 2010, so coming up on my 10 year anniversary this week, actually, or next week, actually, you know, I was looking to combine my passions, which were people and horses. So <laughs> after <laughs> searching the dictionary for, you know, something horse related, a friend at lunch just finally said, how about unbridled talent? And I thought it was brilliant and the URL was available. But really talent to me was, you know, the people side, the making sure that you have the right people, that you're able to develop those people, that you are able to retain the right people and help them to grow in their careers, even if that's outside of your company. 
So, you know, that was just kind of a, a play on words in the beginning, but I thought it really helped me to put together the two things in life that really kind of get me excited, which are our people and people's solutions and people's strategies, and to take that out to the world. Now, I found out very quickly, as I've said to a lot of people, why companies name themselves Acne Corporation or ABC Corporation, <laughs> because nobody can spell unbridled talent or say it, <laughs> which I'm like, it's a word. I don't understand. <laughs> but also people, and I don't know, maybe you've, you've either not had this yet or you you have or you will, people reaching out to me, the word talent, I think for a lot of people is associated with like modeling and acting. I'm not sure. I didn't realize that, but uh, got a lot of emails or, or messages over the years, but like, do I represent actors or, or models? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, and then I, you know, I always describe who I am. I say, you know, I, I talk about talent strategy and high impact leadership. And, and I've been surprised that some people will look at me and go, what do you mean by talent strategy? So I think for those of us that are in this space, you know, the people space, we know what talent means to us. Sure. Uh, and if you're in the horse space, you know what unbridled means. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it was a good kind of eye opener to me that, you know, everybody doesn't see things the way that we do on the inside of the, the people in talent space. And so there's an opportunity for us to do a better job of explaining to people what something like talent means when we refer to that and to not take for granted that if we're talking about, you know, top talent or the right talent, that everybody really knows what that means. Yeah, I think that's super interesting perspective. And I've never heard anyone talk about talent in the way that you were talking about with models and actors and act actresses, but I can totally see where that correlation comes in. So a lot of my work is in athletics and in sports. And when you hear the word talent, people almost immediately think about physical talent. And yeah. where I've had some of the same eye-opening moments is that that's not really the talent that I'm talking about. The talent that I do is is more non-physical. So again, it's it's the leadership development. It's the culture, the team building, those type of elements that are also related to talent, but not what you would initially maybe think. So it's just super interesting to hear someone else that's had something like that happen. And it is a really good reminder that just because you know what something means doesn't mean the person who's visiting your website website or listening to what you have to say doesn't mean they know exactly what it is. So you have to have a concise and strong message to get across if you want to actually help people. Yeah, and I think it has to... You have to be cognizant that it might evolve over time. You know, I, I mm -hmm. moved from saying I focused on talent strategies to people strategies, but even that to some people doesn't really resonate. So I think you kind of have to always be listening to your audience and see if what you're putting out into the world actually impacts them in a way. And if not, to evolve over the times, you know, even if it's like personal branding, I talk and teach about personal branding a lot. And I always say, you know, minds evolve. It's like, it's like a spinning top in some you know, ways because it's just constantly evolving because I'm changing and the world is changing. And I think the workplace is changing. So anyone who thinks that they're going to have, you know, a, a trademark message for life, good luck with that. I mean, <laughs> even Coca-Cola uh, <laughs> continues to change their brand over the years in terms of their tagline. So we have to constantly be thinking about how, we, how can we hit people in today's current context 
uh, in a way that resonates with them and is meaningful with them. But yet the core concepts of, as you said, you know, dealing with leadership and what talent in an organization means, I think that, you know, certainly has aspects of it has changed over the years, but the reality is we still need great people in order to make great things happen. But how do we talk outside of our organization or outside of our bubble of recruiting or or HR professionals so that people outside the world understand what we mean? Yes, absolutely. And I want to dive even deeper into a lot of this talk. But before we get too far away, I would love for you to just tell the listening audience a little bit more about yourself. You talked about what you're doing now, your love for horses. But if you can just give us maybe a little bit of background into who you are and how you got to this point, I think that would be really great for the listening audience. Sure. I guess kind of continuing the play on words, I started way back when, 30, 32 years ago now. Uh, and I'm very, very young um, <laughs> in my mind when HR was called personnel. So I'm sure you, you don't recall those days, uh, weren't born then, but in the day it was called personnel. So I started as a personnel manager at a small manufacturing plant. And actually when I went to college, uh, you know, I had to choose a major somewhere along the way. And I chose, there wasn't a personnel management or anything like that in the school that I went. So I chose just a general business degree. But my goal was to work in personnel. And I still don't really know why, because I didn't know anybody who worked in personnel. I'd had a job as a cashier in a grocery store, so I'm sure I didn't even deal with somebody in, in HR. <laughs> um, but I, I tell people now, I think I was a millennial before millennials were a thing, um, <laughs> that I I felt like I was searching for the path in the organization where I could have the most impact. So even at, you know, 20 years old or whatever I was at the time, I thought, what about the people that are involved with hiring and interacting with employees and growing and developing employees? You know, maybe I didn't think about it in that complex of terms. I think I was just like the path to the most things to say. (laughs) I just wanted to be in charge without, you know, getting to the CEO route. So um, (laughs) maybe it was a little divine providence. I don't know, but I said I wanted to work in personnel and after a couple of starter jobs, you know, finally managed to talk my way into a very small manufacturing organization as a personnel manager, establishing a department. You know, they'd had someone who was their shipping and receiving manager who had offered to kind of help them. They were growing enough that they needed that. So I got hired as the personnel manager slash shipping and receiving manager. So <laughs> neither of which I knew anything about. Um, so it was a great opportunity to kind of forge my own way and learn and grow and make some mistakes. And after about eight years in that role, I moved to Cincinnati and went to work in a Japanese automotive manufacturing company that had an existing manufacturing plant, but they were building a new plant across the parking lot, different product lines. So it was an opportunity to really kind of start up an organization but yet have a lot of support across the parking lot to go ask questions. But mm-hmm. I did everything from picking the carpet colors and the furniture in the break room to, you know, hiring all the employees and setting up the training plans, et cetera. So again, another great experience and never thought I would have left that job was happy. And we kind of subscribed to the lifetime employment mantra. And one day again, some of these things you or your audience might be like, what, a newspaper for job ads? Uh, (laughs) I'd placed an ad for an engineer in the Sunday newspaper and just was opening it up to check to make sure it looked okay. And I saw a blind ad for 
uh, VP of Human Resources. And I don't know what it was. I was again happy. Um, didn't really wasn't wasn't at all looking. Didn't have a resume, but I I saw some things that jumped out at me, which was you know I don't remember exactly, but it was I know non union experience was one, which we, you know being in a Japanese automotive company, we were very much on on making sure that our employees didn't ever feel like they needed one. Uh, and it had a dollar amount in there. <laughs> you know, some people <laughs> will say it's important to have dollar amounts and a dollar amount in there that was significantly more than what I was making. But again, I wasn't really considering, but it was a blind ad. So there was no company name attached. And I am uh, from, you can probably relate from the athletic standpoint, uh, very competitive by nature. And I guess I just accepted the challenge to find out the company. I wasn't interested in the job necessarily, but I wanted to know who it was. Um, so I called the recruiting firm stupidly and, and just, <laughs> who's the company? <laughs> and they're like, um, yeah, we don't do that way. <laughs> so I accepted an interview under the guise of uh, trying to find the name of the company. And in the Japanese automotive company, we all wore uniforms. Uh, so picture your gas station attendant, blue and white striped shirt, blue pants from Centos. I had safety boots, you know, steel-toed safety boots, uh, and I wore that to my interview because I was so not interested in the job. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm here to find the name of the company, you guys. Come on. <laughs> um, and they told me enough that kept me talking, I guess. Uh, they still didn't tell me the name of the company, but they told me enough that then I went back and the internet was it, – it had been around for a while, but I was still new to it, but it kind of poked around and I kind of – guessed who I thought it was. And it was not a company, again, that I would have wanted to work for. It was an old, 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 over 100-year-old manufacturing company with a corporate office, their largest playing card manufacturer in the world. And I'd never heard good things about it, never. So again, not excited, but still pressing forward to get confirmation that I was right. <laughs> uh, went to, again, the recruiting firm to meet with the new CEO. It was a, a young guy that had been brought on for a turnaround. The company, again, had been around for over 100 years, was a very uh, cash-rich company, but the, the management, the leadership that had been there for 25, 30 years had really run it into the ground, and it was about to go bankrupt. So I call them local rich people here in Cincinnati. Uh, a core group of local rich people in Cincinnati bought the company to try to save the brand, because uh, Bicycle Play Cards is a kind of an iconic brand still. And they had brought on this new CEO to turn around the company. And he was young and eager, fresh out of you know Harvard MBA, McKinsey consultant background, uh, had never been a CEO. And so I met with him and his passion and his enthusiasm and his vision for what could happen in really a, a greenfield situation. It's kind of like when I started at the Japanese automotive company where I was starting up a company, but yet there was a resource across the parking lot. This was turning around a hundred-year-old company that everything had to be new, but yet there were people in the organization that had been there 25, 35, 40 years wow. who were very resistant to the idea of new because they had seen a lot of people come and go over the years. They had been heavily unionized. It had five unions at one point, including the office. My predecessor, who had been there 28 years, was his title was VP of Industrial Relations. Uh, but he had broken the unions 16 years before this this uh, opportunity came along. But yet, still, very much was of that union mentality. So, 
you know, when I had the conversation with the new CEO about what the opportunity was, again, that kind of competitive nature in me came out and I said, I'm working at a company that's a benchmark organization. People are coming to us because we're a best practice poster child and it's a well-oiled machine and I could continue to stay there, maybe tweak things and make them a little better, but why not challenge myself to go to a place where I can take what I've learned in this organization and try to apply it in a place that not only is broken, but where people are actively resisting. So I, I cried all the way home when I accepted the offer because I was thinking it was a huge mistake. Um, But it ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I think, you know, from a a career standpoint of really stepping into that challenge, uh, but also working with a leader that had a lot of flaws, he was not perfect, but he had a perfect vision for what could be accomplished in the organization and was able to sell me on it. And then, we were able to get other people on board with that and found out I didn't ask a lot of the right questions in the interview. I never thought I I'd only had a couple of jobs. So I never thought about the difference between a privately held company. You know, I worked for a Japanese company that was privately held, but kind of a different animal. I never thought about that they would be looking to sell the company and what that would mean. So probably within a week or two, I kept hearing conversations about when we sell the company, when we sell the company. And I, finally went into the CEO's office and said, did I, did I not ask a question in the interview that I should have asked about? <laughs> Usually selling things is, is not good. And he goes, oh no, that's exactly why we're here. We're here to turn this company around, to make it so attractive to the right buyer who's going to steward the brand in the future. And that means fixing the culture. It means fixing the finances. It means fixing the, you know, the working capital, all the things that if we do our jobs well, we'll be able to choose who we sell the company to and take that into the, you know, to take the company into the future. And so again, he sold me on that vision and I got on board and our goal was to sell the company in five years to the right people. And we actually sold it in two and a half because we did a lot of things really fast. It was a lot of hard work and, you know, long story shorter than it could be, but uh, I, I overstayed my welcome. Uh, a little bit past that and then left the company or was invited to leave the company finally Um, went out and finally did some kind of networking to explore what I wanted to do. I didn't really, I was a little, I said burnt out from kind of the effort of a turnaround and thought it was time to start my own business, but got a lot of great advice from people as I was out meeting and connecting with people in that transition time that I was not ready to start my own business. I had no idea what that would mean. I'd never done any business development. I didn't know what my business would be other than Jennifer HR person. (laughs) Uh, And so a lot of people really encouraged me to go into executive search, which I was Uh, (laughs) anti-recruiter. Had not met one that I really liked. If I had to bring one into my organization, I thought it was a failure on my behalf that I was not able to to spend the time to get the right person. But I listened and I, I took their advice and talked to a person who owned a recruiting firm that kept getting referred to me as a relationship builder, not a transactional cold caller, which I have never been, never will be. And so he offered to give me a chance at a 100% commission. I always say it felt like, you know, I think it was February of 2006 when I accepted the the job with Centennial and, and it was like, okay, you start on Monday and 
go out and network. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have an office. I didn't have it. He's like, you know, they were moving offices. And he said, you know, you're, you're going to need to be out meeting people for the next probably six months building relationships. So you just worked out of your home. So, you know, nothing, nothing felt like a new job, <laughs> but I ended up, that was again, another great experience, a wonderful mentor, not only the senior, but the junior in the organization who was much younger than me really taught me so much about relationship building, about what it means to, you know, in retain search, you're, you're getting paid a hefty price to help an organization. And, and I had some hurdles to overcome in my brain about the value of what I had to bring. Mike Sickle Jeep Sr. had been there 35 years. He did not have any issues going into a company and saying, this is our fee upfront, you know, to engage on this search because he really believed in their process in the value. And so again, I had to see that in action and learn it that, you know, what we did bring and what I did bring was a value to a company and worth investment where I had always treated recruiters like commodities. You know, I tried to get them down on their fees. You know, I, I didn't treat them like a partner. And so that taught me a lot. Uh, And that was just, I think a really good interim step to finally starting my own business in 2010 as a professional speaker, you know, which all along the way, uh, Mike Sipple Sr. had said, when you're ready, I'll help you if you're, if you want to start your own business. But my job is to create a culture where hopefully you'll want to stay here. And I did stay longer than I probably would have anywhere else because it was and is such a great company and such great people to work for. So another great lesson from a leader that he never put cuffs on me of, I don't want you to be talking to anybody about starting your own business or even talking to me. He was like, you know, tell me about it. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're learning. How can I help you? And then even after I made the decision to step out in February, 2010, he said, you can still come work out of your office here, you know? So, so just so supportive and so grateful. And then here we are 10 years later and I've been able to make a go at it. So that was probably the longest I've ever (laughs) told you who I am and what I do, but I, I got on a roll there. I hope it was helpful. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, I thought that was great. And I, I, the empowerment that you got to be encouraged to start your own business and just that support is so refreshing, honestly, to, to hear because you really don't hear those type of stories too often. It's normally the, the complete opposite, which is really unfortunate. Hey, everyone. Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader, and the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. Before I, I want to talk more about your business and then more about just the HR recruiting world in general. Before we do that, can we dive deeper into that whole experience where you had to turn around that company culture? And, and the reason I'm asking is because 
so many times I feel like the general population is put into a position at work. So we can talk about just the corporate world or we can talk about athletes. I guess it really doesn't matter what line of business you're in, but you're in a position where things might be a little bit uncomfortable for one reason or another. And I think for the most part, when things get uncomfortable, people start looking around and looking for reasons to leave. Whereas in your situation, things got a little bit uncomfortable and you said, okay, I'm going to start asking some questions. I want to get some more information. And it seemed to me at least that you wanted to make it work, even though it maybe wasn't something that you initially signed up for. So I would just love to hear from your perspective, how how can we be better about those difficult situations when maybe it's not all lining up like we envision it in our head, but we can still come out on the other side really happy and really successful like you were? Sure. I think, uh, you know, lesson learned then and even in the job before where it was a great company, growing company, uh, a lot of great things about it. But because we were growing so fast, there were a lot of negatives, a lot of working on weekends and long days and constant growth, which, you know, you, you would think constant growth is good. But I even remember our purchasing manager saying once, she's like, I just would like to stop growing for a while. <laughs> because <laughs> It was just so stressful. And so to hire people into that environment in the automotive company, especially engineers, because they haven't always been, you know, the, the good ones are hard to find and hard to get, hard to keep. I had to be really clear on both what the opportunity was, but the challenge was because it was really about picking the right person who was wired for that, you know, to hire someone who's very talented, but doesn't want to work really hard to, you know, get through the others, you know, not, not saying they don't want to work hard and like they don't have a work ethic, but that's not, you know, whether they have young kids or whatever, it's not their place in life. So being really clear on what the opportunity, the good, the bad, the warts, the, you know, the highlights are so that the right people choose you. And I think in the case of the turnaround situation, again, the CEO was very clear on how bad everything was. Uh, you know, I, I say today, I've learned a lot of things and wish I'd done some things different over the years, but he, his saying to people was, is that he wanted to make the employees lives better so that they didn't want to go home at night and kick their dog and beat their wife. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not at all appropriate, but uh, again, he was young. I was fairly young too, (laughs) you know, and I would, I would kind of look at him and maybe give him the stink eye when he said that, but I think people got what he was saying. Their lives were miserable. You know, there were a lot of things that were miserable about the company and the management didn't care about people. For example, the, the CEO that he replaced had been there uh, 25, 30 years uh, at one point had had a chauffeured driver drive him to work. You know, the management team had a, a gated off parking lot uh, the CEO had a had bought himself a marble circular desk uh, that was twenty five thousand dollars, and meanwhile there are people in the factory. Uh, our manufacturing process was on the fourth floor of a very old brick building that was unair conditioned. So you know they're out there sweating in hundred degree weather, which is one hundred and twenty, hundred and thirty with all the equipment going, while he's in his air conditioned office with a twenty five thousand dollar marble desk with the driver outside waiting for him. So you know people were really, really bitter and jaded about not being cared about because they weren't. Um, so he was very clear on that, and again, I think it tapped into something in me where if I could go and be a part of the change. That was exciting to me, even though there was 
a lot of pain and suffering both laid out for me and then eventually also discovered. So even like an athlete, you know, kind of taking it back to your world, um, I think the, the best players uh, are the people, not just who have, as you said, great physical talent, but often they're the ones who can join a team of either less talented individuals or maybe people that have talent, but it's not yet been brought together and they can unite that team and they see that as their role. You know, the person who has not only talent, but can come in and unite a team around a common goal of winning the championship or whatever that goal might be. And I think that was what we really uh, knew and learned in that turnaround situation, because we, we did change out almost the entire executive team. Uh, actually, he'd done a lot of that before I started. He always said he hired me last. He was a very much a Jim Collins, good to great. Like he gave that book out like it was candy. Uh, <laughs> and he always said, you were the last seat on the bus. I waited to fill that position last because I believe the HR person is the most important role in the company. So wonderful to work in an organization where somebody actually believes that and, and supports you in that way. But we had, you know, he told me, for example, when I started that the HR team that I would be inheriting, that they all needed to go except for one. And there were, I think, eight or nine of them on the team. And I came in, you know, I'm going to change the world. And I said, hey, you know, thanks for your opinion about the team, <laughs> but I can fix them. I can fix them all. And so I went in on the first day. It was a shock to them. My predecessor, it was a confidential search. So he was told on Friday, he was no longer with the company. I show up on Monday and they're, you know, deer in the headlights. Some of them had worked for him for 25 years. And I'm like, I'm Jennifer and I'm here to help, you know? <laughs> and so I had to start meeting with each one of them and learning their story. And some of them were scared, you know, all of them were scared. Uh, some of them were not sure about, you know, the new CEO and where they thought he was taking the company. And some of them were downright combative, even with me from the beginning and told me so, you know, and I, I thanked them for saying, hey, thanks for letting me know you're not on the team. Uh, <laughs> but what I need you to do is to help me. I said, I hear you. You're not going to stay. You know, the person who had thought he was going to be the next VP of HR, he said, you know, I've been groomed for this role. I was going to be the next VP of HR. I'm going to be here for another three months until my 401k best, and then I will be leaving. And I could have said, well, then you can go now. But I said, hey, thanks for telling me that. Uh, but what I need over these next three months is for you to teach me everything you know. And I will help you in any way I can to move on to your next opportunity, kind of that same mentality that, that I was gifted with in the recruiting firm, but in, with a person who didn't care for me already. Um, and I said, you know, I, I need to learn from you while you're here. And so let's see if we can make this work. And and very quickly became clear we were not of like mind at all. <laughs> but I, I stayed with him. He stayed with me until he found another opportunity uh, because I needed somebody who could teach me what I was walking into. And so remember, you know, the CEO said they all have to go except for one. And I you know, people like him, they self-selected out uh, eventually, some quickly, some, you know, over a couple months. There were a couple that I thought I could save, but eventually they just weren't the right fit for where we were going. And they self-selected out, you know, one of my benefits manager sat down with me and he said, I've really tried, you know, I, I see what you all are doing. I see what your vision is. I, I like it, but it's not how I'm 
I was raised. You know, in other words, it's not how I learned how to do this job. So I don't think I'm a fit. So again, people having the courage and maybe the safety to be able to say, I need to opt out. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately, I think it took about a year, year and a half. And I ended up with the exact one person left that he had said would be the only one I needed to keep. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt good that, you know, again, we, we laid out what the vision was and I given them the opportunity to get on board. I only had to, to terminate one of them, but we did that even with a nice safety net and grace because she had added a lot of value to the company, but she was just so opposite of the, the culture that we wanted to build. She was very much inculcated in that union mentality culture. And so we helped her, you know, find her bliss elsewhere and didn't make it an ugly, awful thing. So, you know, to kind of get back to the answer to your question, I think it's really about selecting people who are wired for whatever the opportunity is and not to kid ourselves that every opportunity is all sunshine and roses. Even great opportunities have difficulties. And by being honest about that, I think you can get people who are excited about the opportunity to fix those difficulties. You know, when I looked back after I left that, that organization and then kind of went through that transition period, I actually engaged a career coach to kind of help me figure out my next steps. And one of the things we did was take some assessments. And one of those was the DISC profile, which I think I had taken before, years before. But when I read the DISC profile results for me at that time, I kind of remember sitting with him and I said, you know, when I read this, I'm a high, high D, not much else on the disc profile, if anybody's familiar with that. I said, this doesn't read to me. You know, they give you a 16 page summary describing what you are and who you are. Doesn't sound like an HR person to me. And I said that that kind of hits me between the eyes that it sounds more, you know, you think of HR, the kind of, um, you know, general consensus is they're the people, people, they mm-hmm. care, you know, they help people. And, and, you know, the joke is you get in it because you like people and you want to help people. And then you realize that's not really what HR is about because people can be hard, but I didn't read that. And I said, you know, my, my coach, this doesn't read like HR to me. Was I in the wrong role all along? He said, Jennifer, let's look at your background. You started your first role in HR was you established an HR department. So you, you took something that was nothing. And you built it in your next role. It was really a startup, uh, even though, again, it was an existing company, but you started up a new facility from the ground up and you built something. And in your last role, it was a turnaround situation where, again, you had something that was established, but you were tearing it down and starting back. So your disk profile reads more like, you know, that kind of CEO typical profile where you're like leadership, take the hill, execute, you know, He said, so you were in the exact right roles in HR for your personality type. And that was, I think, very revealing, not only for me, but as I helped and do help leaders now with identifying the right people for their positions and or their companies, it's so important to know what is it that we have to offer? How do we explain that so that it becomes something that right person is like, I got to have this job. Mm-hmm. You know, the second job I had, I took a $10,000 pay cut and a title cut to start that Japanese manufacturing facility up because I thought it was a great opportunity. 
And then the next job, yeah, it was more money and a, and a better title, but I'm coming from, again, a Japanese organization where you could eat off the floors in the manufacturing plant. <laughs> We're Toyota production system. People are coming to benchmark our organization into a place that had broken windows everywhere, no air conditioning in the factory, people that hated their jobs and hated me. You know? <laughs> so the opportunity that was put for me was exciting to me. And I think we have to really figure out how we can excite people, tap into what motivates them. And so it's much more than asking, you know, tell me about your greatest strengths and weaknesses and tell me about the biggest mistake in your career and how you did that. We've got to really find ways in the interview process to really understand how someone is wired, for lack of a better way of saying it. And does that match with what we need? Charlotte's Web is a leader in CBD hemp products, including oils, gummies, and topicals. These products can assist you with anything from faster fitness recovery to getting a better night's sleep. They even have products for dogs. Personally, I like the gummies best, and I'm telling you, the sleep gummies have helped me improve the quality of my sleep. I also love supporting Charlotte's Web because they are committed to unlocking opportunities for women to succeed through the Women's Bean Project. You can learn more about that project or any of their products by going to their website, charlottesweb.com. As a loyal podcast listener, you can receive 15% off of items. All you have to do is just enter the word dynamic at checkout to receive 15% off of Charlotte's Web CBD hemp products. I want to expand on all of that a little bit more, but talk about it more in the context of your business. And one of the interesting aspects that I saw when I was doing a little bit of research before our conversation was that when you work with organizations, you're looking to make not only a lasting change, but a positive change. And I think you just outlined some of that in the story that you told with your personal experience. But when, say, I'm a potential customer, I'm a potential business leader, and I come to your website and I see positive, lasting change, what is it that I'm supposed to expect from that type of education? Like, if I'm going to work from you, how are we going to make a positive, lasting change on my organization? Sure. Well, if you're a leader, whether it's, you know, if it's a coaching opportunity or you're reaching out to me for, for something individually, then it's, it's really about how do we again find your gifting? And in the sense of, you know, like I just explained, I figured out after three jobs that my gifting was really that building and, and taking things that are broken and, and the challenge of making them better. So really understanding yourself and how you can impact the organization the most. So for example, one of my first coaching clients when I started doing executive coaching uh, was a CIO of a Fortune 100 company. It was really impactful for me when I kind of just started our initial conversations with, you know, why do you do what you do? Why do you come to this organization versus all the other places in the world you could work with your talent, your skill level, your profile? Why do you come to this place to work every day? And he said, because I personally feel, and he really, it wasn't words for him. He said, I personally feel that I impact the stock price every day through what I do and what my team does. And that was like, 
magic. You know, when you have someone who sees the path to impact, now how can we actually maximize that? You know, the reason why I was in there is because he'd been given feedback in his 360 review that the organization recognized the impact that he had, but that he was reticent to uh, share his opinions, to to have ideas and share them, that they wanted more. They wanted him to share more, to give more, because he was so talented and so able to really make a difference in the organization. So he personally engaged a coach. I mean, that's the kind of people that you want to work with. They're great, and they just want to get greater. <laughs> you know, so to understand that not only did they want more from him, he could see the ability to impact. So the positive, lasting change is helping him to gain the confidence, you know, you often think maybe a senior executive is all about confidence, not all of them. Uh, so to gain the confidence in himself and his ideas and in what he could do, both through himself and his team, and to draw that out. Um, and so I think that's an example of, in that situation, the positive lasting change is getting the person to recognize how they can impact. And, and he had an understanding of that, but how could he really do more of that? And then in other cases, you know, maybe it's helping someone reveal that what they're doing is not being ultimately helpful. So the positive lasting change is getting them to either eliminate some behaviors or to modify some behaviors. If I'm talking, you know, on a conference stage or to leaders in general, it's kind of exactly what, you know, both of those things. It's it's helping them to understand. I always say, I talk to leaders of all kinds, you know, C-level leaders, organization leaders in all all areas, but obviously because my background is HR and recruiting, I do end up on a lot of conference stages at HR and recruiting conferences. And I say this and I mean it with the core of my being. I believe there's no better place in the organization to have an impact and to influence people than human resources recruiting, you know, the people profession, because you are in the position to impact not only the most important resource, but the source of competitive advantage for an organization is their people and the ideas. So our organization is only as successful as we are able to attract, recruit, and retain the right people and develop those people to do the things that we need them to do. We have to hire the right mindset. We have to hire the right skill set. We can develop some of the skill set. We can evolve the mindset, but we've got to start with the right, right uh, talent, you know, back to that talent word. And so getting leaders, regardless of their level, and I say this again, when I'm talking to meeting planners, or even from the stage, I don't care if you're the human resources administrative assistant, or you're the CHRO, I believe both of you have the ability to impact the organization, just like my client did, you could see your path directly to the stock price or to the bottom line of the organization, because every interaction you have with people throughout the day is an opportunity to just turbocharge both what the company's goals and objectives are and achieving those or the ideas that will help the company to evolve and stay ahead of competition. So I think that's, I, I like to work with leaders of people, whether that's individually or teaching, training them. And part of the magic for me is when someone comes up to me after I've given a keynote speech or a training class or a coaching client who says to me, I didn't realize the opportunity that I had until I heard your talk or until we met. And now I'm excited to go back to my organization and really 
take advantage of the opportunity that I have, you know, either things aren't perfect where I am, but I see now that I have the path to impact those. That's what I'm looking for when I leave from the stage. You know, I want someone to come up and say, not only, Hey, I enjoyed a great talk, but I want people to come up and say, I realized either for the first time or I re-realized or you confirmed for me that I'm in the best place I can be in the organization to have influence and impact. And then I kind of take it back to, hey, when I started in HR 32 years ago, remember, I chose this job kind of uninformed and blindly, but I said, I want to be in a position where I can have the most influence and impact and I can't be the CEO right out of school. So where can I go? And I chose personnel. And I believe that was a great choice. Maybe it was a little bit of luck. I don't know. But I believe it's even more of a, of a great opportunity today than it was back when I started because personnel was very administrative then. Now it's a strategic role by definition, even if your leadership doesn't necessarily treat you that way or you've never treated it that way. You have a strategic role, again, regardless of your position level, because you have access to the lever that has the most impact in the business. Very cool. Thank you again for sharing all that. I think it's super important just to uh, you know, kind of reflect on everything that you've said and, and seriously realize, especially if you are in the HR and recruiting world. And I know sometimes it can be difficult if you are in that world to get outside of that prism and, and maybe we're just enabling these people more, but the level of importance that our jobs entail, I tell people this all the time, like we are affecting people, not products, people on a day-to-day basis. And it's, it's a job profession that for some people can truly be a burden. And they don't last. So the, the people like yourself and, and hopefully like myself will continue to be able to make those positive, long lasting contributions in all different sorts of capacities. But I'd love to switch gears a little bit here. I know we're getting towards the end of our conversation. And one of the big aspects of your business is doing speaking engagements. I know there's probably a lot of listeners on this podcast that have a strong expertise in a certain industry, or they're just very passionate about a message from maybe a personal experience that they want to spread. Can you give us some practical advice as to how you get started in that type of work when you're getting to speak at conferences and maybe to larger audiences than at a traditional work conference or something like that? Sure. I think uh, it is the question that I probably get asked more than any other is how do I get started as a speaker or how do I get speaking opportunities? And I think that's probably the the second or third question to ask yourself. <laughs> the first question is, what do I know? What am I passionate about? Um, you know, so back to the beginning of our conversation, I'm passionate about people, you know, so that was something that I knew, but I started just sharing what I knew. I thought about 10 years into my career, sitting in a, a union avoidance training class with a consultant at the the automotive manufacturer. I remember watching him and he was in his seventies. He had been at General Motors for 45 years as a VP of industrial relations. And so now he had started a consulting business. And so he was teaching companies how to be non-union, you know, or to stay non-union, but he had 
wonderful stories. He had us laughing. He was sharing, you know, things that he had experience in, and he made it fun. And the whole reason he was teaching the training class was because I had tried to teach union avoidance and I could never make it fun. You know, it was like, <laughs> we need to do this and here's the things. But he got up and really added life to a topic that, you know, for our annual training, people were never excited about. And I sat in their room that day and I thought, I want to do what he's doing. I like, I didn't necessarily, I'd never seen like a, a Les Brown or a Zig Ziglar at that time. You know, again, the internet wasn't a thing when I was in that training room. I just thought the opportunity to stand in front of people and to deliver something that you have expertise in, in a way that impacts them was really attractive to me. But I sat there that day about 10 years in and I said, you know, he's got a lot of great stories and a lot of great experience and I don't have enough yet to do that. Mm -hmm. So maybe 20 years into my career, I'll revisit this. And I don't know that I necessarily thought of it again, but about 20 years into my career, I'm now an executive search consultant after, you know, these previous since in HR and trying something new that was foreign to me, you know, developing my own business, et cetera. And I had during that transition period where I engaged the coach and going out to networking meetings and meeting with other people, executives in transition, I had heard a gentleman say at an uh, executive networking meeting, he had just gotten a job as a CEO of a financial services company. And he had told his story about, you know, getting laid off from his previous job and trying to find his next opportunity. And he said, I found so many people during my transition time that were so helpful to me in my journey that I made a commitment to give away 10% of my time to helping people once I became employed. And that stuck with me. So when I became an executive search consultant, if you know, anything about recruiters, especially third-party recruiters or executive search people, they typically, you know, if you reach out to them and you're looking for a job, their job's not to get you a job. Their job is to find people for the jobs they're working on. So they'll say, you know, send us your resume. We'll put it in your database. And I kind of said, you know, for senior executives, which, you know, was my target who are in career transition, I'll actually meet with them. I'll give away 10% of my time to meet with these individuals who are in transition to just offer my help, you know, be clear with them. I don't have a job for you. If I did, you know, then we'd be talking about that. <laughs> but whether it's your, you know, giving you resume advice or interview advice or talk me through your story or let me encourage you how to network. And I just tried to help people and I taught them what I knew which what I knew at the time was my own experience that I had been through in my three months of kind of transition period, how I learned as a massive introvert to get out and network, what I learned about networking with other people and what was made that effective. And I also was you know, relatively new on LinkedIn. I'm member number 5 million something on LinkedIn. So I was just getting started with that. And I'd turn around the monitor on my computer and I'd say, why don't you create a LinkedIn profile and let me show you how that can benefit you in building your network. And what that turned into was those executives, either when they became employed or they'd go back to organizations they were a part of, they started saying, we need to bring Jennifer McClure in to talk to us about networking or about hiring people or about using LinkedIn. And so the speaking thing unintentionally about 20 years later came about because I was freely sharing what I knew, what I was excited about, what I was passionate about, that resonated with people and they started inviting me to share more. So I think for people who envision themselves on a stage speaking, 
it can happen right away if you climb Mount Everest blindfolded backwards on a pogo stick. And people <laughs> want to hear that story, and you'll you'll skyrocket right to the you know keynote stage at a major event. But if you want to build a speaking career or even do it as a side opportunity or as an opportunity to get people to know more about you or your company, I think at first you've got to, whether it's blogging or writing posts on LinkedIn or sharing on social media or being on podcasts or having a podcast, how are you putting your thoughts and your ideas out into the world so that people start to see you as a credible expert? And then a lot of that means you're going to be sharing your ideas for free. And at some point, somebody is likely going to offer to pay you for that. If you're intentional about it and you are, you know, positioning yourself for opportunities, somebody will offer, you know, take you up on the opportunity to be on stage. But I think the path to speaking, and maybe I'm simply speaking from my experience, but I, I certainly see this with others that I admire as speakers as well. For the vast majority, your journey starts with understanding your own expertise, what you're passionate about, what you have credibility in. I mean, I could go out today and tell you that I'm going to uh, start speaking about IT, you know, how to have the best IT systems. Nobody's going to put me on a stage because (laughs) even if I'm a great speaker, I have zero expertise in that and I'm certainly not passionate about it. So to understand from my own experience what I'm passionate about, what I have expertise in, what I can establish credibility in, then start sharing that so that people see me, notice me, recognize me, and then either invite me to their stage or I'm well positioned when I either apply or reach out to people to have an opportunity to speak on their stage or for their event or for their team that they see I'm bringing with me a wealth of knowledge and credibility. And I think that's where people need to think about starting. Back it up from the I want to be a speaker to what am I excited about, passionate about, experienced in? How do I start sharing that message? How do I help other people who have the problem that that experience solves? And then I can either start pursuing speaking opportunities and or some of them will come to me. Wow. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for that information for all of your expertise that you have shared for basically free on, on today's yeah, podcast. You didn't pay me for this. <laughs> we can work something out on, on the side okay. later. <laughs> but uh, real quickly, before we get to my final question, if people want to follow along on social media or on the internet, where can we find you? Sure, you can find because I'm, I've been establishing credibility for <laughs> 10 years now. I'm still working on it, but uh, you can go to my website, jennifermcclure.net. I'm on uh, LinkedIn at Jennifer McClure, the, the, the first one to grab that URL. Um, I'm also, I, I like Twitter. I troll, st- stroll through Twitter at least once or twice a day. I'm at Jennifer McClure there. Uh, on Facebook, you can find me, Jennifer McClure Speaker. On Instagram, didn't grab that first. Jennifer underscore McClure, but I have lots of horses and uh, cat and dog pictures there. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a podcast called the Impact Makers Podcast. So would love for any of your listeners who are avid podcast fans who like to learn or listen to people who have are out there making an impact in the world or my ideas, tips and thoughts on how you can make more of an impact. Um, And I'm sharing that over at the Impact Makers Podcast. Yes. And I can uh, vouch for that. It is a great 
podcast, I listened to it. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. And I will get all of the information about where we can find you in the show notes. So that's easy reference for anybody listening to this podcast. But Jennifer, before I let you go, the show is called Dynamic Leaders. And you've obviously showcased today why you are a dynamic leader. You're on the show and how you're impacting other leaders in this world. But I love to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life who's really been impactful from a leadership standpoint or just really influential. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a quick shout out to today? Sure. I I mentioned him earlier, Mike Sipple Sr., who's He's the chairman now of uh, Centennial Inc., I believe. He's transitioned out. His son, Mike Zippel Jr., is the second generation. Both of those individuals um, really at a very kind of, uh, I guess, apex of my career built into me, still do, treat me like family, taught me so much, still teach me. Mike Zippel Jr. has a podcast called The Talent Magnet Institute. Just wonderful people who really taught me what it was like to both be a servant leader, to build relationships that have meaning and impact and then opportunities then flow out of that and just really appreciate all that they have done for me and and still do to invest in me as a human. Awesome. That is a great way to end this conversation. Jennifer, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us and share everything. I certainly learned a lot myself and I know that the listeners are going to learn as well, but really can't thank you enough for taking time today to do this. Well, thanks for inviting me to connect with you and your listeners. And I look forward to continuing to learn from you in the future.